Welcome to Witter Digital's Unsupervised, a new podcast series that brings you personal perspectives from the front lines of modern visual effects. This is a closed door session, so come on in and shut the door behind you. My name is Maxwell Barrett, and today we're talking about Game of Thrones Season 8 with animation supervisor Dave Clayton. I've been here for a little over 16 years now, so quite some time. And CG supervisor Mike Perry. Um, I just had my 20 year anniversary at Weta and just love it. With Game of Thrones, um, there was two CG supervisors because the show was too big for just one, and we basically are in charge of the 3D, you know, sort of liaising with the pre-production departments, getting the stuff that we need, getting lighting, and, you know, Weta only had portion of all the work. There was other facilities doing other work. So we were getting baked meshes from another vendor. Um, so we had to QC that and make sure that it worked with our palettes and our lighting. David? Yeah, well, as the animation supervisor, I, I oversaw the animation of the dragons, some ships, lots of digi-doubles and whites pre-animation at the beginning of the show. So that was just like traditional previous animation, except it was done to a very high level, almost to a final level of animation because it was informing uh, live-action shoots that would be built off the back of that animation. So for something like that, do you have to show a lot of animation options to the director to say, you know, here's seven different ways that Drogon can fly into shot before they actually sign off on one? I'd imagine so, but, um, you know, given that this is season eight of a well-established, well-loved series, we were given, you know, good examples of, you know, movement of the dragons, their flight cycles from previous seasons from a variety of vendors, and we just tried to match into that, which was actually... It was quite liberating in a way because we were able to just stand on the shoulders of these quite talented artists. You know, my first instinct for the flight cycle probably would have been something well below where we ended up just by jumping straight to that final polished point. Yeah, so it was actually it was, it was quite an instructive show from my perspective. What about you, Mike? Um, it did present some very special challenges. We always use the plates to inform our lighting. We want to match what was shot because they shot a lot of plates on this show. We had a lot of reference. And unfortunately, because of limitations on the day, they didn't always match each other. So there's always a bit of a challenge trying to find the hybrid and the mix to make sure all the lighting was as seamless as it possibly could be. It was brilliant fun. Yes, how hard is it for you to actually, you know, match or light some digi-doubles that are fighting alongside some, some live-action plate guys and have them pixel perfect is it a lot harder than you'd anticipate or is it you know is it sort of the same process that you go through maybe just a little more polished than um it's always a challenge i mean we always take it all the way down to the basic level we've got to make sure the skin shaders look the same as live action all the way up to the costumes and then the lighting you know on set um for example the big battle outside winterfell was especially challenging because it was such a dark environment you know you had to get your light sources where you could and make them look natural there's obviously a lot of fire but there's also a lot of areas where there's not really a lot of fire so we had to make it look natural with the studio lighting and also not look fake so it it did present some very special challenges especially in these big wide environments that we had yeah and is there sort of a heartache that happens when you you know you're using a plate because we'd always try to hold on to the plate as long as possible but sometimes we just get to a point in a shot where we had to say goodbye to it for whatever reason for a lighting mismatch or yeah I mean, you never want to do that, especially because, you know, a day on set is a lot of effort, a lot of extras, a lot of effort, and if you can't use it, it is a real shame. Mm. Some things you you have to light CG, though. I mean, 
one of my favorite shots was as the first charge of Dothraki are hitting the whites and you have the trebuchet bolts that are full of fire and they're exploding on the whites and you can't actually see them except when you get the little explosions you see silhouettes and you see a couple of hints of bodies flying in the air I thought what you didn't see there and what you did you know is just a beautiful balance of sort of mystery and kind of something really bad is coming but you yeah. can't really get a good idea of what it is yeah that restraint is always i'd imagine it must be hard for for filmmakers to to it's almost what you're not show, you, what you don't show but you've got a whole you know you've got to build the tension of this battle over the course of the whole episode and i think it was the longest battle you know it, we've ever worked on right in terms of duration of, of minutes um, so you have to just start to like pepper in those little reveals of, of moments and then until the end you know you you know it's it's just full on everything's happening at once they you know they'd been building towards this battle for a long time they had a pretty good bearing on it um, you know each of the sides each of the you know the active parties in this where they were going to be stationed when they were going to charge what the outcome of each uh, you know battle within the battle was going to be um so really it was it was it was execution of of a of a plan a, a good plan um and so with that with that in mind we were able to just use our our tools to the best of their ability you know like uh, John Allett our crowd supervisor created some amazing massive sims with his team and we we did motion capture sessions to just get specific moments that we needed that we knew would be shown in a fair bit of detail and also just broader generic actions that could be used and, and looped and cycled and stuff um, and they were also able to leverage some um, some of the new features of massive like dynamic simulation because when the whites are trying to scale the walls of Winterfell every time one of them gets knocked down it it sort of crumples and knocks a bunch other over and they just form these piles So the dynamic system there just worked wonderfully to just kind of have them react against each other as if they were just ragdolls. I remember seeing some great motion capture takes of guys climbing over each other up a um, inclined ramp that they used for motion on their flights. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, motion capture is always such a treat because you just get to... It's so immediate, you know, from an animation perspective. I'm used to the patient crafting of a performance or an action that might take... <laughs> months um i'm ashamed to say no i'm not ashamed to say i mean animators out there will know that it's a it's a very you're paring away at the motion over a long period of time until you get something that's um representative of what you imagined all the way back at the start whereas you know cut to a, a mocap stage and you know you're kind of just chit-chatting with the performers oh we need this we need a lot of energy and, and we need how about we try that and the, okay action and they do it and within moments, you're playing it back on the on the screen in a you know somewhat rudimentary form, but you're seeing that that motion, that performance uh, represented on the characters that it's going to be on, and you can straight away judge it. It's just so immediate, and then you can respond to that. Go, oh, let's try one more, do this, and so we'd 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 designed a few camera moves with the client in a um, in a CineSync session. It was like a live. We we connected the computers together, and I was able to plot out the camera with guidance from the client and um we knew from those camera designs that we were going to be right in close to a big impact so you know we we got with some of the the stunties who we've been working with 
back since Hobbit. It's like it's just like you know the elves judging the thing, except you know your whites and the, and we got some great little describe it vignettes of you know two two whites hitting you know some Dothrakis or the Unsullied and just having that visceral kind of impact moment with all the energy and mass and weight and and violence. And you know you you place a few of those in the foreground of your of your of your massive sim, right in the camera, and then you populate it out with you know with some some more motion capture and some simulated elements, and you've got a really violent looking energetic shot. Well, with the Battle of Winterfell, one of the things that amazed me was the storm. Um, we had some very specific concept art, you know, and storms and clouds are always done with fluid simulations, and they're notoriously hard to choreograph. But our effects department did a fantastic job matching the concept art, getting the fluid sims, basically sculpting them to match the fingers of the storm that came down. Mm. And on the lovely shots above the cloud layer, when you see these swimming clouds in different directions and almost like breaking waves, um, I had nothing to do with it. I wish I could say that I did, other than watching it and just being continually amazed. After mm. all the years we've been in visual effects, mm. I know how hard that stuff is. Mm. And I've seen you know attempts at it before. And I thought the effects department on you know, Weta did a beautiful job. I was very impressed. Mm, no, I was watching those submissions with wonder as well, especially as we started to get into some lighting on them and, and you know, Drogon would be breathing fire in a big wide shot and you just see this, the fingers of the storm illuminate for a moment and just what an evocative, yeah, amazing kind of concept and, and really, yeah, well executed by the effects team. I remember that shot very well. It's a very visually bold moment. Mm. You know, even the early lighting takes, I'm like, this is going to really... Mm have some impact yeah and that that excitement about about shots and you know even even in early previews that's what keeps us going and keeps us passionate about our job we know we're onto a good thing and if we can just bring this to fruition like the best it can be it's you know that's that's amazing to be able to be a part of that it never gets boring does it even after all these years there's still something new there's still new ways to do things so what was your favorite shot to work on david it would have had to have been the Regal death sequence for, yeah, a lot of reasons. It was just, I love dragons. Dragons are my spirit animal. I always, I think I've been typecast here at Weta because if there's ever a dragon movie, I tend to be put forward, which I'm not complaining about. I, I love it. In Game of Thrones, characters die all the time, unexpectedly and brutally. And this was no exception. This was one of the dragons being taken out. So I, I felt like I was bestowed a you know, great honor to be able to animate these dragons and, and to actually kill one. So it's easy to see why it's a favorite moment for me. The the specific shot that was my favorite was when Rhaegal actually gets shot through the neck by the bolt. And, and um, he just comes past camera in a spewing blood and it's, it's very gory and dynamic and then, and then he just recedes away and, and heads for the ocean where he subsequently crashes. That used to be three distinct different shots it was prevised that way, and so we our first pass of our animation was was done to match that. One of the client side visual effects supervisors came back to us and said, "Okay, Dan and Dave, the showrunners, they want to combine these three shots into one epic shot, which is just like music to my ears. <laughs> Not that it's easy; it's kind of tricky to fuse animation together, but." I knew that the result was going to be amazingly worth it. And it was also, we were going to be able to bring a lot of our own creativity to the shot at that point because it's all of a sudden creative clean slate, um, you know, given that it has to describe these three beats. But 
we could fuse them together and, and, and just up the drama level and be working on a really hero memorable um, shot. Yeah, I love that shot, especially the dynamic composition where it starts off and it looks like it's going to be just this majestic flying shot that we've seen a couple of. Mm. And, you know, as this shot, the composition comes around and then you get the framing of it, you know, the boat in the background, mm. um, Rago heading for the water. It's like a 180 degree scope to that shot. Precisely. Um, it was very well choreographed. Thank you. Yeah, it was it was good. Yeah, and I think, you know, when you when you have fun with a shot like that, it definitely shows. You know, I was very keen to hear what the internet had to say about um, about our amazing shot. <laughs> and um, but but because that was in episode four, and that was the episode that um, had the Starbucks coffee cup kind of left in in the in the in the foreground of one of the live action shots that dominated the internet, and there wasn't a peep about how to break death. <laughs> so I had to kind of be a little bit humbled by that. But yeah, I I, I think I'll always be proud that our team brought that shot to the screen. There are so many good moments. Like for me personally, um, I'm a sailor and I used to sail on tall ships. So any project where I get to work, you know, and build sort of old school boats and sails and rigging mm. just is super appealing to me. Mm. And I remember, you know, Martin Hill, our VFX supervisor, um, had a top down view of King's Landing Harbor with the big Exodus shot and he had the wind direction plotted out. And all the boats, you know, they were all had realistic sail plans and the sails unfurling and everything was all realistic to what the wind would be and stuff like that. And so talking to him about that, although to be honest, he'd done a lot of homework, he had it all sorted out before I came on the show, mm. uh, was just fantastic. And, you know, talking about sail rigging and, and it sort of took me back. Mm. It always, to me, was very amazing that you could explore the world with just wood, canvas and ropes. And I remember you coming in and, and there being a lot of discussion about sales and us leveraging your experience on that, which is kind of a good point about visual effects, right? You have to take your experience in the real world or what you've learned or read or or, or um, actually personally experienced, and then you sort of use that to guide your decision-making when you're creating this work in order to put realism into it. So how great that you can, you know, use your sailing experience for, for something like Game of Thrones. That's really cool. Before you worked on this uh, season, David, were you a Game of Thrones fan? Were you part of this big fan base? To be honest, not really. <laughs> I love fantasy and the fantasy world. And I had watched the first season, but I, there, there was a, a pregnant woman with me at the time and she, she was like, one season's enough for me. <laughs> so we kind of parked it. And then I never kind of got back on the bandwagon. And then and then working on season eight, I guess I just already had all the clues as to you know the, the, the termination of all the character arcs. So it sort of felt Besides the point now to go back and watch seasons two through seven. You had the bookends. You had the first season. And season. Yeah, Great. I got okay. the general gist of it. What about you? Were you a fan prior to working on this? Um, I'm like you. I had actually no experience with Game of Thrones before. When I finished the last project, I'd worked with Martin and some of the other team members before, and I, I loved it. So I was just very keen to get on board. Some of the first meetings I had were about technical pipeline issues yeah. and when we had people coming and martin was doing the brief yeah. he had to do the whole no spoilers alert like yeah. okay i have to warn you yeah. there are some things that we have to talk about yeah. that are going to give away and, and you know there was definitely some unhappy people around <laughs> it's like when we do the blood on the dragon what not <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah when we get a, a new show in we we would you know often ask the team what show would you like to work on and there were definitely animators and and you know people in the motion realm who were like I don't want to work on that I don't want to even hear about it I don't want to know anything and there was one point where I asked one of our 
production people to to print me out a little cheat sheet of of the animators who are working on it and their phone extensions. And at the bottom of the the little printout that he gave me, he wrote, "If you mention anything about this show, you you will be suffering badly or something like that." You know, he he was just leaving little clues around as a reminder, just to you know, don't give away any spoilers. With Game of Thrones, the fan base is very easily, you know, understandable. My brother is a massive fan, and in fact. You know, he lives a long way away in San Francisco and we were visiting and I remember our visit was put on hold because they were showing an episode. So it was actually kind of fun in a certain sense because I would text him like, oh, you wouldn't believe who dies in this episode. Of course, we didn't say anything, but it was just a nice way to sort of wind him up. Yeah, the way people react to spoilers on this. I mean, we always have to be sensitive around the content that we're working on. But this was sort of amplified to next level, of course, that, you know, it's just it's all very top secret. Yeah, it's a big responsibility. I, I kind of enjoy working on something that's so eagerly anticipated. It kind of excites me. Um, I, ne- I don't really feel too much pressure because I know that we're going to give it our best and we're going to do a good job and and hopefully deliver. And it keeps you it keeps you doing your best. You know, you're not gonna you're not gonna be um, offering up any second rate animation or or lighting when you know that it's going in front of millions and millions of people. Everyone was just top performers. It was fantastic. Yeah, it's amazing to, to be able to look back and say you've worked on this really eagerly anticipated stuff. So yeah, really, really awesome that we've been able to be a part of it. Next time on Unsupervised, we'll be sitting down with Sheldon Sopsack and Guy Williams, who work together as visual effects supervisors on Gemini Man. Thanks for listening.